How y'all doing? Good, good. Hey, I'm going to take a second real quick to make this Josh height. I feel like this is Alberto height right now. Uh, <laughs> okay. Hey, it's, uh, it's good. Well, what's up? How y'all doing this morning? Everybody doing good? I'm glad that we could get a giggle in before we get in to it, all right? For those of you guys that don't know me, uh, which I'm, like, really encouraged today because I look around the room and, like, legitimately, it's a lot of y'all that don't know me, and that's really encouraging for me. Uh, my name's Josh Guerrero. Guerrero, if you want to get spicy, that's okay. You can do that as well. Uh, I am a pastor at a church in central Austin, uh, kind of near downtown called The Well, Community Church. Thank you. I don't know what's going on with the lights right there. but uh, In addition, we're planting a church, my wife and I, in southeast Austin, where I'll serve as the lead pastor. Uh, man, but I, this is kind of beyond that. I'm honored really to be here because this is really kind of a unique homecoming for me. Like I mentioned, a lot of you guys don't know me, and that's encouraging. But about a couple of years ago, I would say almost two years ago now, uh, my wife and I transitioned to the well uh, from this church. And so prior to that, this was a church that, that was home for both of us for many years. Uh, and so my wife is right here. I've been married to this beautiful woman for five, uh, almost four years. Uh, man, this is, when I say that like, this is home for us in a lot of ways, I really do mean it. She came to faith uh, at Texas State through the campus ministry here. Uh, I spent, oh, you know what, guys? Hold on one second. Let me start my timer because I wanted to get you out of here on time and not at like 2 p.m. Um, in addition, I mean, it, I spent many of my young years here, my 20s, uh, man, just growing. I met actually my wife here at the church. Uh, man, so when I say that I am deeply humbled and, and honored and so thankful for you, I really do mean it. Like, like when I look at you right now, whether you know me from the next guy or not, I'm trying to encourage you that, man, like what you're doing here like matters. Like this church in so many ways has produced fruit across like the state of Texas and even the world that you may not even be able to see for yourself right now. But what you do here matters because it has caused ripples uh, for God's kingdom across the state. And so I even think about guys like Shad in North Austin. I know a lot of you guys know. I think of guys like Earl and Sarah Smith in Houston and like Caesar and Melody Morales in, in, in San Antonio and, and like all these different places, all these different people that have gone out from this one place, right, to go make an impact for God's kingdom, to see people come to faith and see their lives change, man. Like that happened here and legitimately you're contributing to seeing that same thing happen tomorrow, and so when you're here, I want to encourage you that, man, this is a special place. You're not a part of something that, that, that's small. You're part of something that's awesome. You're part of something that's incredible, that has made such an impact in my life, in my wife's life, uh, and has made an impact across the, the state and across the world in a lot of ways. And so, man, I wanted to take a second to say that because I'm just, like, mad excited to be here. Like, I'm just mad excited to be here because I love you. I love you. Like I said, because of what this church, your pastor, Pete, uh, the rest of the guys uh, that work here, uh, some of you guys may not even remember Tiffany from, from a little bit back in the day, but man, everyone there has just made a huge impact. I just want to say thank you. Uh, and so, yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, all that being said, welcome to the Springs. If you did not recognize and did not notice, I am not that handsome white gentleman. Uh, I guess there was a couple now. There was a couple handsome white gentlemen in that movie, but I, the one I'm talking about is Pete, and uh, I'm not him. Uh, I'm a handsome brown gentleman, <laughs> uh, and uh, man, but Pete and uh, a 
lot of other people are out of town this week uh, going to the, uh, the Every Nation Conference down in Florida. And so uh, I, he called me, and I was like, all right, dope, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, I was like, I can't, got here, though, and I realized that all these people are out of town. And I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to see some of these people that I knew, some of these people that I, I was hoping to see. But that's okay, right, because we're here, right? Right, you and me are here? All right, so like me and 10 people are here right now, but you and me are here like the rest of you guys? Okay, all right, cool. So one half of the room is here, but you and me are here like to this side, right, right, right? Right, okay, yeah, no, there's, there's some feedback there? Great, awesome. And I'm happy that you're here because today we're going to take some time to continue to work through this series that you guys have been going through, the gospel, had a good little, uh, I, I'm not, you know, might be biting off of some Google marketing there, but no, no worries there. We're, we're going to keep going through Romans. And this we were coming into a really special place in the beginning of Romans 8, continuing out from Pete's sermon last week in Romans 7. And this is a critical and unique sermon, a critical and unique, I don't want to say sermon, but a critical and unique text uh, that's beautiful. Because if you've been here, you've probably noticed that over the past couple of weeks, Paul in Romans has been wrestling through this idea of, of sin and the law. And he's really painted a picture of how it, it, it's a little bit of a struggle against sin. And last week specifically, hitting on this, this strong idea that, man, like, like we, we can struggle. We can struggle. And this week, he's going to kind of take a turn out of that and, and bring a bit of resolution to the idea that, man, you and me struggle with sin. And that's critically important to recognize how we get out of it and to recognize that that struggle is real. Because when you walked in here today, there was probably a couple of different camps that you were a part of. One or the other, and there's probably a lot more of these different types of camps, but the two I want to highlight right now is, man, if you walked in here and you're not a Christian, right, you, you would not categorize yourself as a believer, there could be this weight that you walk into because you sit there, you feel a little bit isolated thinking there's a bunch of other people in here that call themselves Christians, and they never sin, and I'm in here, and I always sin. And I, w- I want to look at you, and I want to kind of lovingly encourage you that, man, you could not be more wrong. Right? There's just a lot of people in this room right now. There's a room full of people that live lives that, that are stricken by brokenness still, that, that still wrestle with sin. But on the other side, there's also a, a group of people. And I would say this is probably the majority of people today that walked in here and you think and you know that you are a Christian. You believe in Jesus. That's where you've placed your affections and your allegiance. But you've walked in here and you think, man, because I'm a Christian, I should not ever sin. And so when you do, it becomes this vile, shame-filled, rejection-filled thing because you can't believe you did what you did as a Christian. And now I want to lovingly encourage you as well that, man, fam, you are dead wrong, right? This place, as I mentioned today, is filled with people that still wrestle with sin. And it is true that there are some in here that have found hope for their lives in Jesus and an innocent verdict through this God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. But that has not made anyone in this room perfect in our day-to-day lives. And so what Paul is going to turn into this week is going to bring some resolution to that. And what I'm praying more than anything is that today you and I can share kind of a freedom from the striving that we may feel on a day-to-day basis. That the Lord and his Holy Spirit working through our text, working through how we're spending this time together the next few minutes, could could free us from some of the striving that we, we attempt to do. And then some of the shame, some of the rejection, some of the isolation and pain that happens as a result of when we fail in our striving. Okay, so we're going to jump into Romans 8, and uh, we're going to read the whole thing. 
Okay, so I'm going to let you know right now. We're, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read 1 through 11, but it still is going to feel like a lot of reading, at least for me. And so no matter what you're feeling, just stick with me for a second, and then we're going to pray, all right? And then we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about this. But I know uh, the last time I was here, we did this thing where, where you would stand in honor of God's word. Is that still a thing? All right, all right. So if you would stand with me as we read God's word, we're going to start in Romans 8, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11, We're going to go ahead and get started, all right? It's on the the board if you need it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. As you're being seated, as you take your seat, let's go ahead and pray over our time together, all right? Uh, Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that as we spend the next few minutes together, that you would feed us in a way that that glorifies you, but but in a way that also heals our heart in a lot of ways. God, don't, don't let us have a bit of resistance toward bringing how we feel, bringing our 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 heartache, bringing anything that we have stored deep inside of us to your cross and to your word today, I ask that we would freely do that. In addition to that, God, I ask that you, through your word, would speak to us in a healing way that, that just blesses the mess out of us and frees us from so much of that. So we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, verse, <laughs> verse chapter 8. As I mentioned earlier, what we're doing is we're coming out of chapter 7. And at the end of chapter 7, Paul did this thing where he starts talking about, man, I do what I hate, right? Like all these different ways he's kind of communicating, like, man, I'm wrestling with sin. And right away, Paul comes into this incredible chapter with like this huge right hook. Okay, he understands that the people reading this have probably been wrestling over the past couple of weeks in chapter 6 and 7 with this reality that we sin. And again, if you're going week to week right now, you've heard like 6, 7 over the past couple of weeks. But they would have been listening to this letter all at one time. And so Paul's creating some tension in these first few chapters, right, helping people see that, man, this life is not a perfect life, but we rely on a perfect one. And so as this tension is created, he comes into chapter 8 desiring to release some of that tension by helping us see where we need to go and what we need to do in order to find peace in God. Now, here's the thing. What we're going to talk about today is, is, has a theological word to it, and it's called sanctification. 
You don't need to memorize that word, right? Y'all probably use that word a lot, actually, here at the Springs. But what that means is it is an increase in your obedience to the Lord and in your increasing how you bear his image in your day-to-day life. And what Paul has really been, been dealing with here is the fact that that is hard. Because the flesh, our flesh, what that is is literally the desires, the thoughts, the attitudes of our being fight against being like the Lord in almost every single way. And so naturally, our natural inclination is not to get up and walk out life looking just like Jesus. Let me assure you right now. Let me encourage you. Let me just release, right? Like, man, you don't do that, and neither do I. Like, if you didn't get up this morning, look in the mirror and be like, man, I'm holy. That's okay. Like, that's all right. Let me assure you, like, man, no one else did either. And if someone here did, they're liars. And the first person they're lying to is themselves. All right, so, yo, like, hear me. That is the, the natural disposition to your heart and my heart is not to naturally get up and just be like Jesus. And so Paul's been working on this idea that, man, how do we really grow, grow in our faith? How do we grow in our obedience to Christ? How do we continuously and progressively live out a life that looks more and more like this Jesus? And he starts in chapter 8 with a huge right hook. He starts out and he just goes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means if you are here today, right, if you are here today and you would consider yourself a Christian, that you follow Jesus, you believe in what he's done on the cross, you believe that he paid penalty for your sins and that he now gives you love and affection based out of who he is after paying the price for you, that there is nothing that can condemn you, right? That there's nothing in your heart that should fill you with shame. There's nothing in your heart that should fill you with, with, with this sense of, of rejection or isolation. None of that should exist in your life. Because when you look to God, you can simply go to him and go, man, man Lord, I did this. Forgive me. And he answers back with, with affection and affirmation, with love and grace and forgiveness, That's your life, but let me be honest right now. In your life and in my life, that is rarely how that happens. Listen to me right now, please. I want you to just focus on me as hard as you can for a second. In your life, when you fail, in my life, when I fail, the absence of condemnation is rarely the next step after that moment. That's rarely the case. But yet here in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, yo, that has no place in a follower of Jesus' life. Now, why does it have no place? How does it have no place? Because in verse 3, Paul begins to explain that. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son. Actually, you know what? We're going to stop right there. So how do we have now no condemnation in Christ Jesus? Paul says in verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, what does that mean? Because I want to give us a, a, a kind of something to stew on, and I want us to give us the reality of your life. I don't want to bore you. I don't want to, to speak theologically oh, like too, too much, but, but I also want to break down in a way that can give you some confidence and assurance as you move out of here today. Paul's saying, hey, Jesus did what the law could not do. And, and in order to understand what this is, we first have to understand what the law is, okay? Now, how many guys know like an accurate definition of just what a law is? Dang, the rest of y'all guys have no idea what a law is. That's crazy. Oh, man. 
I feel bad for you because you're definitely going to get in trouble. Like, you are absolutely going to get in trouble. Your day-to-day life is going to be rough here pretty soon. So I'm going to ask that again, anticipating there would be a different response because I'm a little concerned for, like, 95% of you if there's not. How many of you guys know just what, like, a law is, the, the, just the plain definition of a law? Man, these two brothers, right? Man, Joseph right here, I see you, bro. You ain't raising your hand. I know you know what a law is, family. Come on. Um, so... A law, right? A law, the just plain definition would be like a rule, something that we live by. In Paul's day, right here, right now, what's happening is he's processing through something called the Mosaic Law. And what that is in the Old Testament, it was the rules and practices of that community, that ancient Hebrew community, that really uh, they believe God instituted in their life. And in his culture, what they believed was that this law was there so that they could show God how much they love him and therefore earn the affirmation, love, and affection of God back. Do you get that? That the law was there in their mind so that they could show God how much they loved him by being obedient and therefore earn God's affirmation and love back toward them. Right? But let me, let, that may sound stupid to a lot of us, but I would, I would contend and put before you that for you and me, everyone else that's meeting in church right now across the country Everyone else that's meeting in church right now across the world, that's how you and me also wrestle with Christianity. That's how we see Christianity in a lot of ways. Like, like that's it. It it, it doesn't have, maybe not all the time, but man, I would contend that that's how a lot of us wrestle with Christianity on a day-to-day basis. That we look at the ways Christ desires for us to live. We look at the way, like, the New Testament paints a life for us. And then we see it as a way to live up to this standard that God created, earning God's grace, showing that, man, I have, I have shown how much uh, I love God, and now I am affirmed in God that, that, man, I am worthy of his sacrifice, I'm worthy of his love, I'm worthy of his affection. It's the exact same thing. Now, the downside to that is that when we fail, what happens is you back away and go, man, now I have not earned God's affirmation, and I want to separate myself from this God a little bit. And I want to separate myself from maybe the community that I'm a part of, I want to separate myself from church life. I want to separate myself because I'm filled with this sense of shame. I'm also filled with this idea that God no longer affirms me. And in order to find the affirmation that I so deeply need, I start turning to things to fulfill that need that aren't God. I start turning to to my own success. I start turning to relationships. I start turning to lust. I start turning to parting. I start turning to fleeting joys that will help me feel affirmed in a moment when I believe that God has not affirmed me. All because I believe what I do and what I've done is the measuring stick to God's character and how he feels about me. Now, that's all based in this idea that God's instructions, that God's laws, God's instructions for us in our day life are based on the idea that they're there for us to show God how much we love him. But let me, let me kind of just, just, I want to turn that idea on its head a little bit. Because I firmly believe that God did not give us the Mosaic law or any of the New Testament instructions for our life so that you could go out and show God how much you love him. But in fact, the opposite, that God would give us his instructions and his laws for the sake of showing us how much he loves us. In Deuteronomy 10, it says that God gave us the laws of the Lord that are for our good. God could have easily created everything, put humans on the earth, gave us a slap on the butt, and sent us out of the way, go figure it out, bro. 
But that's not what happened. Right, right, God, God creates his creation. He begins to form this, this beautiful, beautiful thing. And then he also begins to give an instruction about how to, to live a life that's, that's blessed and beautiful, that, that glorifies him and is good for their heart, their soul, to bless others in, in your wife, your relationships, your, 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 your husband, your, your friends, your children. He starts to build these ideas of how to live life because he wants to see beautiful things cultivated in the life of his creation. And the message of all that was to show men, I deeply love you. I deeply love you. And out of that love, I hope you love me back. And I hope your obedience is not driven by just an arbitrary desire to be like, yo, I I want to go ahead and and love this God for the sake of loving him. or Do what he says because, you know, uh, he's big and, and he'll punish me if not. But to help us see, man, this great God loves me. Me. In the midst of struggles and failures, in the midst of shortcomings, this God, so big and so beautiful, loves me. And because of that, I I love him too. Everything that I've done that's wrong, that makes other people look at me and go, man, nah, man, I'm not trying to be around that dude. I don't want to be around that girl. I don't want to do this. He looks at me and goes, man, I love you anyway. And the desire in that law, the desire in that message, the desire in that story behind those instructions is that we would look at that God and go, man, I love you too. But our flesh corrupts that idea of that law. Instead of seeing how much God loves us through the message of how he instructs us in our life, we take it and go, yo, I can use this to show God how much I love him and prove myself to him. And that's when it says that, yo, that law is weakened by the flesh. That, that, that the, the, the obedience it calls for is rooted in a, in a love and affection for God that all of us fail at. And so when he says, yo, this law is weakened by the flesh, it doesn't produce something that is honoring and glorifying to God. It doesn't produce deep love and affection to God. It doesn't produce obedience to God out of a deep desire to love him. Man, legitimately, that's because we oftentimes fail at that. We fail to see the law as, it, as it really is supposed to be. And so what happens is, man, we just lose track. Like, you know, like, th- that, that's what's going on here. Are you, are you tracking with what I'm saying a little bit? I hope you are. But, but then in verse 3, he just contrasts and goes, man, but God accomplished what the law could not do through sending his son. That Jesus would come into the earth. He would see the laws of God perfectly. And then, no, man, I'm going to submit to this beautiful reign of God in my own life because I can understand and see that what he's instructing me to do is actually out of his love and affection. So I'm going to be perfectly obedient. Not because it's arbitrary, because I don't want to be punished, but because he's good. And his laws are good. His ways are good. And he accomplishes what we can't. And in that moment, when he takes the cross, he gets punished as one who hates God, as one who disobeys God, though he would be perfect in his love for God and in his obedience. Yet he takes that place on the cross so that we who don't know the love of God, who haven't experienced it, who who oftentimes shy away from it or don't understand it, could enjoy it through him forever. That's what's happening in this chapter. And now, going to verse 2, It says that for those who have accepted that gift of Christ in the gospel, now no longer reign over, they're no longer reigned over by sin and death. They are now reigned over by a spirit of life. A spirit of life. That's not to say that the law is is sin and death. It's to say that, man, right now, look at me. If you are a Christian in here, that sin and death no longer reign over you because of what this Jesus has done. 
that sin and death no longer reign over you, that there's now a spirit of life that reigns over you. And so what that literally means is that, man, you now can look at this Christ, and when you fail, no longer do you sink into this state of sin, death, depression, anxiety, isolation, fear, shame, regret, condemnation, but you turn to God and go, God, in your reign, because of Christ, I ask that you would forgive me. And he looks at you and goes, you are forgiven. You're perfect. You're loved. You're cared for in me because the reign and rule over your life is not one that tells you you are, you are you're condemned and that you should be full of shame and there's no way to get back. But the reign over your life is freedom and life through me, Jesus. And so when you start to understand and think through what it means for you, what it means for you to experience the joy of that, to live in a life that that is obedient to God, to live in a way that is full of freedom and life and not in a way that's full of shame and regret. It doesn't start at what you do. It starts right here, what he's done. That's where it starts. In your own life, if you've walked in here today and you're like, man, I want to do better, but I feel like I keep struggling. I want to do good, but I feel like I keep doing bad. I want to change this part of my life, but man, I can't seem to change it because legitimately what I'm doing is hurting me, it's hurting others, and I'm filled with shame, and I'm filled with regret, and my wife is angry, and my kids are mad at me, and my coworkers think I'm horrible, right? I just can't seem to change it, and I need to do better. You're wrong about how you need to do better. Your focus should not be on how you are doing better. Your focus primarily should be on he who has done better for you. The gospel of Christ at work in your life that in verse four says now has been done in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, not through the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's you. That right now in your life, You before God are affirmed, loved, approved, primarily because of what has been done for you, not at all because of what you have done. So right now, what I would love for you to do, all right, what I would love for you to do is check it out. We're going to do this together, all right? Take a deep breath. Oh, that was good. That was collective. We together in this. That's right, baby. Now exhale. Man, it's not on you. Breathe a sigh of relief. It's not on you. It's not on you. Just look at me real fast, man. Like, it's not on you. I don't, I'm not trying to like, what, what's the name of the movie with Matt Damon and Robin Williams? Goodwill, I'm not trying to goodwill hunting you, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to do that, man. Right? It's not your fault. It's not your fault. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that to you. But what I am trying to get you to understand, and that dated me because I feel like a lot of y'all that are in college right now are like, what's goodwill hunting? Go watch it. Man, it's a good movie. Go watch it. All right? But what, uh, right? I'm not trying to goodwill hunting you. What I'm trying to do is help you see that, yo, man, like, take a deep breath. It's not on you, fam. It's not on you. Deep breaths. You're okay. When you screw up, you're forgiven. You have the opportunity to turn to this God and go, God, forgive me. And because of who he is and what he's done, he looks at you and goes, man, I love you. But that doesn't negate the reality that we're called to walk in a way that reflects this God to the world and increasingly and progressively displays our obedience to God. It was Christ that said, yo, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Right? And so, so man, that, that, that's, that's kind of like challenging. It's Jesus looking at us and going, yo, man, like, as you progressively love me more, you'll look more like me and you'll obey what I'm saying. 
So it doesn't negate the reality that we have a responsibility, but the responsibility of earning affection, love, affirmation does not start with you. It starts with him, what he's done for you. Now the challenge becomes, yo, what, what is it, right? How do we live like that? And we're going to kind of hit hyperspeed here a little bit. We're going to move through the text a little bit faster because, man, that verses one through four, that was like the foundation of what's coming next. But now as we move forward, thinking about how it is that we actually live like this, verse five, moving through the text, starts like this, starts to tell us how it will accomplish that. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, I want to stop there in verse 6 for a second, okay? I want to reread that. Verse 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So where, where, do, where does our life being changed by this reality of how, what Christ has done for us start? Where does your life changing into to his image and starting a life that begins to reflect how God has moved on your behalf and reflecting that beauty out to the rest of the world, where does that start? It starts in your mind. It starts right here. Right, 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 right in there. And the reality that Paul's painting is that, man, a, a mind that is set on the things of the flesh will produce death. It will produce Death, and I love the contrast because a life that's set on the things of the spirit will produce peace. Now, now look, think of the contrast here. Death versus peace. That when you and your mind have it, are set on the things of the flesh, what that means, that flesh are, are you, your accomplishments, your failures, your successes, who you are, what you've done, your faith, like, like, like everything in you that's opposed to Christ and glorifying and worshiping him, focusing on him, who he is in his beauty, his love, his affection. When we focus on outside or things outside of that, it produces death and the contrast being a lack of peace. Do, do you see that? The contrast between life and peace and death is that when you focus on what's outside of Christ, you, you, you lose peace. Like, I, I don't want to drill the point home too hard again, but like right now, like there's some of us right now that like feel uncomfortable in church because we like got really angry at somebody when we were driving over here right now. And like four people smiled and like, <laughs> and it's true. Like I, if y'all were being real right now, if y'all were being real, what would happen is that there's a ton of us right now that feel awkward, that feel a little bit strange being in here right now. Because legitimately what's happened is that, man, your morning started off maybe a little bit rough. Maybe you stubbed the toe and dropped a four-letter word, right? Like maybe, maybe you like that guy or that gal like cut you off and you were like, oh, I'm going to put that back. You know, like, like, you know what I mean? Like all, all that happened. And, and you started to focus on just those things, void of the foundation that verses one through four left us. And it became, man, I'm, I'm not worthy to be here right now, right? I, I, don't, I don't want to be here right now. It's, it's, it's man, like, ah, da, 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 like, I, I feel weird being here. I'm not sure if I'm worthy of this God, X, Y, and Z. Yet when, when your mind is set on the things of the spirit, right? That, and what that means is literally when you're thinking through who God is, how he loves you, right where you are, wherever you are, man, that starts to produce life, that starts to produce life. 
that, that you would be able to meet the challenges of that day-to-day life in your success and in your failure with great peace, with great affirmation, because you can think through the reality that, man, God loves you based on who he is, not on who you are. And, and so that production, right, how, how do we get there? And, and Paul, just in verse 5, is kind of telling us, like, yo, it's, it's really based in, like, a lot, of, a lot of how you're living your own life, like your lifestyle. What that does not mean is that your lifestyle dictates how God loves you. What that absolutely means is that your lifestyle dictates how much you understand God's love. Here, I, feel, I, don't, I want that to make sense to you right now. Your lifestyle, he says in verse 5, Right, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Nowhere in there does it say those who set their mind on the things of the flesh, right, are not loved by God. It doesn't say that. What it's saying is those who, who live out your life focused on the flesh, your mind will be set on the things of the flesh, and so your life does not dictate whether God loves you or not, but your life dictates in every way how you will understand how much God loves you. You will process that differently depending on how you're living your life. If you set your mind and, and, and you live out your life in a way that begins to focus on spiritual things, if you're here on Sundays, if you're going to growth, growth groups during the week, if you're actually taking part in discipleship with another man, with another woman in this room, if you're thinking through, I mean, legitimately, even if you're spending your weeknights, right, at least a couple of them, reading the Bible, spending some time in prayer, right, right, like, like I know Peter's big on evangelism, so just sharing your faith, right, your mind will start to grow toward the things of the spirit. But if you set your mind, if you live out a life, I should say, if you live out a life that's focused on things outside of God, primarily, right? Legitimately, just let me be be really transparent. If you go home every single night and your goal is to watch Netflix, that's what you're probably going to be consumed with. You are going to naturally set your mind to that all the time. You're going to think about what's being fed into your mind from the office uh, you're going to think about what's being fed into your mind. And let me be real. I love the office. Hold on. Let's take a pause for a second. Cause I love the office. All right. But if I'm looking at my man, Jim, I'm like, Jim, you wrong, fam. Jim, you are wrong. Stop pursuing that engaged woman. That's what I'm thinking. This is a spiritual part of me. It's like, Jim, stop. If, if all I do, right, is go home. And, and let me be really transparent, man. I struggle with this. Right. Your lifestyle will start to dictate how, where you set your attention. It'll start to dictate where you set your mind. And so, man, if you don't feel like reading your Bible, but you do it, that's okay. Because it's not, it's not that you're earning some affirmation from God because you read your Bible or you didn't. The act of obedience to God is a testimony to your heart that this matters more to me than that thing. And so when you go ahead and you go and say, man, I'm going to turn this TV off real quick, and I'm just going to pray for five minutes. I'm going to join my, my wife, my children, in doing some family discipleship time. I'm going to, to maybe go to the grocery store, and in between, all right, the fruit and the meat section, I'm going to stop somebody randomly. And you don't got to do this. This is something that I would do. But you don't have to do this. You must stop somebody randomly like, yo, can I pray for you? But if y'all being discipled by Peter, I know y'all be doing that. So no act. All right? So, right, every little moment like that is an act of obedience that says, yo, this is, this is more important to me than the things of this world. And those little moments of lifestyle change, Right? Even, even if you don't feel them, they begin to set your mind, set your thoughts, set your attention on the things of the Spirit. And he begins to say, man, that produces life. 
that produces freedom. Not, not because God has changed how he feels about you, but because you have reminded yourself how God feels about you. You have reminded yourself about how God loves you, what he's done for you. The reality of your spiritual condition in Christ will be the thing that produces, right, your actual condition emotionally and mentally. So focusing on that reality of where you spiritually are is, is, is paramount. All right, paramount. It, it's, it's foundational to your emotional and mental health. You, you catching what I'm saying there? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? All right. You, you following me? Now, let me, let me be transparent here because we are coming to the end of our time a little bit. Um, that is not to say that because you prayed for 15 minutes tonight, if you pray for 15 minutes tonight and you open your Bible, that you're magically going to never sin tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, so, so hear me. This is a, a tough break in our, our culture of Christianity. I'm trying to, to kind of break that because, again, a lot of how we think through Christianity is, man, this is how I perform well for God and therefore earn God's affirmation. And what I'm, what I'm telling you is that Paul in this chapter is going, hey, God has affirmed you because of who he is. Therefore, now go out and live in obedience because of how much you are loved. And so what I'm not saying is that if you go and read the Bible tonight, you're going to magically not sin tomorrow. You are. You are going to struggle. All right? It's Philipp- in Philippians, Paul also writes that, man, God begins a good work in you and me that, that he'll complete in eternity. He'll complete at the final day. But starting in verse 9, I, I, I want to give a little bit of hope to that reality. That, man, tonight you go home and pray and read your Bible. It's not, you're not going to be perfect. Right? In verse 9, we're going to continue forward, kind of close up. In verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Understand that the body is still dead in sin. It's experiencing death. Our flesh still experiences struggles, wrestles with sin, with temptation, with disobedience to God. But man, there's hope that comes in the gospel. So set your mind there, right? And in general, the main hope that we have comes in that very last verse where Paul says in 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What that means is that that if the spirit of God that was so powerful that it took Christ, who was dead and without life in the grave, and raised that physical body back to life, that same spirit will bring resurrection, wholeness, completion to your life in time. That there is a progression to what's going on in your life right now that you may feel the weight and sting of your mistakes and the challenges and the failures in your life. You may feel that sting, but that is not the end of your story. The end of your story is marked by the reality that Christ is working in you as long as you continue to put your mind on him. As long as you continue to live out a life that says, I'm I'm going to be obedient to you. And 
in, in anticipation for what your spirit will do in, in my heart. Like, like that's the end of the story. And, and I can only commend to you, I can only suggest to you, right, this beautiful, beautiful depiction of Jesus in Revelation 1. Right, this, this man on earth who, who we saw beaten, bloodied, and, and what scripture says is, is beaten to an unrecognizable extent. Now standing before John in Revelation 1, glowing, beautiful, perfect, untouchable, unchallengeable, victorious over sin, death, and everything else. He's so magnificent and so awesome that Paul falls down on his face and goes, man, I'm going to die. This guy's going to kill me. And the affirming and affectionate words of the glorified, beautiful, all-powerful Jesus is, fear not, it's me. And, and I want you to hear something, man. If, if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that brings him back to life and makes him beautiful and whole, untouchable with, with weapons against him, ungrievable in terms of, of how his heart can be broken, uh, you know, like where there would be no more tears, no more hurt, no more pain in this eternal and beautiful state, the scriptures are saying that, man, take rest because that's your home eventually as well. That the power that raised Christ from the grave would also work in your life to raise you from the grave. That in time, the pain of your own failures, the pain of others' failures, the pain of your sin in your family's life or in your own life, the pain of of sin from other people's lives that has affected you, that there will be a day in this Christ and in this Jesus where he resurrects you and me and there is now no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more disease, no more hurt, no more disobedience that that fractures things. There's no more of that. That that is the home, that is the place for you and me. That is the condition that he desires to take you and me to from where we are right now. So man, let me encourage you. As we close it, man, take heart. Take heart. The struggles that you have, right, the, the, the way you're wrestling with, with maybe some of the things you're working with now, right, that you're working, working through now, the way you look at your own life in the midst of your shortcomings, in the midst of things, man, that's not the end of the story. You, you hear me? That there is a better chapter coming, but it takes focusing on who this is, what he's done in your life. That, that's, the, that's how you get there. Not by working so well that you earn your spot in this, this beautiful, perfect, perfected body, but, but that you would rely on the one who has perfected life, and in him you would find life and peace. Like, like that's what we're doing here. That's what we're here for. And so I, I, I want to I end here. I want to end right here, and I want to invite you uh, to do something that Scripture specifically says we do in remembrance of that thing, right, of, of that gospel, that, that action of Christ to, to make us new, that action of Christ to bring us peace, that action of Christ to bring us life. And that's this right here, right, this communion. This thing that we do to, to remember what God has done for us I want to invite us to do this today. And I know that we have a, uh, a confession that takes place in this, and I did not write it down, actually. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, 
But I want to invite us to come here and take part in this communion in remembrance of the actual act of Christ in, in dying and resurrecting for us. As we, we know and we see that, that, and we understand as Christians, that his body, the, the bread represents his body broken for us in our place, that his, the juice represents his blood shed for us in our place that would earn us this place before God uh, as his son, as his daughter. And that as you, you, you eat that today, as you drink that today, that that is a reminder to you that you're forgiven, you're loved, you're affirmed, you're cared for because of this Christ. Not because of what we've been, because of this Christ. So I want to invite you. In addition, this week, there's a ton of other ways that you can begin to live out a life that will force your mind to be set toward uh, the things of the Spirit. So I do, I want to encourage you, man, like, like come to the summer nights at the springs thing. Like, like come to that. Like your, your part, your week may be hard, man. That's a great opportunity to take a break in the middle of that and go, man, God, help me, feed me, tend to me, be my shepherd. And he, he wants to do all those things. Man, like take some part, like, like ask someone, like I, this is awkward, fam, but like it's kind of like a date, but like ask someone to disciple you. Like go up to one of the people in this, in this church right now and go like, yo, can we get together? Because I would love to work out my faith and like a lot of my life with you because you really encourage me. Like, do that and set up time to do that. Like, like invite someone in and say, hey, man, you want to read a Bible plan together and just keep each other accountable to, to read Scripture together? Yeah, like, and maybe we can talk about it over the phone or together on, like, a random Thursday evening or if you're, like, really holy, like a morning sometime. <laughs> like, like, do those things. Do those things to spur that heart and set your mind on that spirit. And I want to affirm you that the peace of God that comes in and goes, man, you're affirmed, you're loved, you're cared for, will begin to take its, its rightful place in your heart and will push you forward in the way you desire to be pushed forward. But it starts and ends at this message of the gospel, at this body broken and that bloodshed.